This is Profiles in Risk. Hosted by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation, and those who work behind the scenes who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot com. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Profiles in Risk. I am your host, Nick Lamparelli. I am pleased to introduce Tom Johansmeyer. Tom is the co-head of Property Claim Service, PCS. Tom, welcome to Profiles in Risk. Thanks. Happy to be here. Tom, a lot of folks in insurance know what PCS is. I bet a lot of my audience does not know what PCS is. Could you spend a couple minutes and talk about PCS and what it is that you do? Absolutely. And it's interesting timing for your question as well, because a lot of the people who know PCS know us for one thing, United States catastrophe risk. And over the past uh, year, we've become a lot more than that. So historically, PCS has provided industry insured loss estimates for the United States uh, for catastrophe events. So when you think about uh, a hurricane hitting, as we saw several times last year, what PCS does is reach out to the insurers affected by that event, and we get their projected ultimate loss and their projected claim counts for the event. And from there, we calculate the total loss of the insurance industry from that catastrophe. So at the end of the day, you know, if you're an insurer and you want to know how you did compared to the industry as a whole, you look at your numbers, you look at the PCS numbers, you got a good benchmark. We've been doing this since 1949, of course. Not me personally. I'd like to think I look good for my age, but that would be stretching it. Yeah, yeah, right. And originally, PCS was used so that insurers could understand the portion of their losses that were related to catastrophe. And you know, one great example, the traditional use case that I've heard, there was a, a hailstorm in Nebraska, you know, a long time ago, and the insurers involved obviously sent their adjusters out. One company benchmarked to PCS and realized they were coming in 20% high. So that caused a bit of internal investigation. And what did they find out? The reconstruction software they were using had prices for New York, not Nebraska. So there were some happy claimants for a while, but ultimately the, the gravy train ended. But we also see PCS used in the U.S. net out catastrophe losses for new product development, for uh, tuning and refining cap models, that sort of thing. So, of course, what we've become known for more recently is our use as a trigger in alternative forms of reinsurance, such as catastrophe bonds and industry loss warranties, ILWs. So, an ILW is index-triggered reinsurance. Rather than collecting based on your own losses, you collect based on an industry-wide number calculated by PCS. So... That's grown to, I think we were used in four or five billion dollars in ILW transactions last year for US and Canada. And we were involved in the triggers for five billion dollars in new cat bond issuance as well. That doesn't even include the stuff that was already imported. 
before we get too far off of that, because I just want to make sure the audience understands ILWs and the the cap bond market. So essentially, there there are and, and Brent Poliquin brought this up in the podcast that we had with him as well. Uh, I'm going to have to get you all all you guys together at some point, and we're going to have to really expand on this. But for a insurance link security, there are several different ways that security can pay out. One is that the insurer actually calculates up its losses, and if it goes beyond a certain threshold, the instrument begins paying out to whoever it needs to pay out to. And the one that you're bringing up is that it doesn't necessarily trigger by a single insurer's losses. It triggers based off of the uh, aggregation of losses to some index or some, you know, some benchmark yeah. or something like that. So it's a, it's a higher level uh, type of payout. Yeah, so it's, for the, it's based on the industry as a whole, generally used in retrocessional trades. So you think about it, you know, an insurer buys reinsurance to get protection on its book. A reinsurer will do that as well. And for those not familiar with this process, it's called retrocession or retro, if you want to sound like you sit at the cool table. And retro is interesting. So you see some companies are able to do retro on an indemnity basis which, as you described, is a company tallying up its own losses. But if you've got a, a really big, complex book, you know, some of the major, you know, really large reinsurers out there are like that. Or if you want to protect your proprietary underwriting information, you'll do it on an industry loss index instead, and that's what PCS does. So when you're doing a, a cat-on or any reinsurance uh, transaction, one of the things you have to do is show, you know, your underwriting philosophy, your claim handling practices, what sort of exposure you have. And if you're buying retro from another reinsurer, you're basically showing them how you do business. And it can be a little uncomfortable to show the secret sauce to your competitors. Even if you're doing it with an ILS fund instead of a reinsurer, you're still revealing a lot more than you may want to. And with an industry loss index, you can approximate your loss based on an industry-wide loss. Say, you know, I think if the industry loses $20 billion, I think that costs me $100 million. So you're able to use that approximation to get protection without having to reveal anything about your own, your books, your, uh, your internal underwriting practices. The, the one drawback to that approach is basis risk. So remember, this is an approximation to your own loss which means you run the risk that you could not collect at all if the industry loss is too high relative to what your approximation was. Or you may overcollect if it's too low. The industry loss is lower than you expected. And the problem with overcollecting is that the insurance industry likes predictability and accuracy. And if you overcollect, it means that fundamentally you, you know, overpaid for your protection and you weren't uh, deploying your resources as accurately and efficiently as possible. So there's a lot of industry loss index use in, in the retrocessional market using PCS. The largest transactions last year came from, oh wow, so XL Catlin spanning the end of 16 and beginning of 2017 did a billion and a quarter in cat bond issuance using PCS. 
Uh, Everest Free had a similar number last year, following a big number the year before. So if you know, Marie did a large transaction using us as an index. And then what's really interesting is we're not just limited to the industry loss index. There are some indemnity cap-ons that use PCS as well. So remember the bit where you tally up your own losses and collect on that. One of the challenges there is how do you define a catastrophe? And you can spend a lot of legal pages using your own definition. Or you can say, hey, it's just up to me, and the investors have to bring and bear it, which they're not always comfortable with. Or you can say, hey, you know what? We're going to tally up our own losses, but we're only going to include losses that have the PCS cat code on it. So what happens is uh, an event occurs. If PCS calls it a catastrophe, all those claims fill in the cat bond bucket and are used to add up to whether or not the cat bond starts to pay out. And if it's not a PCS event, then those claims don't count. It provides some accuracy and consistency and some independence to the process of catastrophe definition, which investors have viewed favorably. So the PCS would also do, let, let's rattle off some stuff. Uh, those California wildfires, right? That that could we, count. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, north and south. So we've got three events in Northern California and then three events in Southern California. The NorCal stuff is bigger. Those definitely have cat codes. Okay. Uh, Harvey, Irma, and Maria, yep. of course. Nate, Nate did as well. And so then it, 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 outside it, of the U.S. The too, right? So typhoons, oh. cyclones, oh. Euro- European windstorms. I heard you mention Canada. Uh, okay. Yeah, so here, here's where we're active. We're active on a catastrophe basis in the U.S., Canada, and Turkey. So we usually do seven or eight events a year in Canada, and there are a lot of cat bonds now that include us for Canada. And we're also active in Turkey. And we do all natural and man-made perils in every cat market we're in. So it's not just hurricanes and earthquakes. Turkey's been the interesting one. So we launched that in fifteen. And we had our, our full historical database and full operation going 2016. And the first event we got tested with was terror in southeastern Turkey, which was utterly unexpected because generally terror losses don't exceed the $25 million insured loss threshold in Turkey. In this case, they did. And there, there's some complexity to it as well because in Turkey, Homeowners include terror, and terror includes damage caused by the government to you know, deal with terrorists. So if you know the army is chasing PKK separatists down the street and shoots up your house, it's covered loss, you have a claim. This happened with significant scale in 2016 during the declaration of martial law in Turkey and covered 12 villages. Insured losses became quite significant, ultimately reaching the U.S. Uh, US equivalent of uh, $500 million. And given the sensitivities around that event, it was certainly, it, it was an intense first event for us. Interestingly enough, last summer we had two more events in Turkey, both were hailstorms in Istanbul. <laughs> and hail isn't a common peril. When we did our historical loss database in Turkey, it was all earthquakes and floods. So our first three events were terror and hail, which nobody really saw coming. So it, it shows that with PCS, you know, it, it pays for us to be flexible in terms of the perils we cover. You never know what's coming next. 
What are the plans for PCS expansion into other countries? Okay, so we, we are working in the preliminary stages on Mexico right now. But, and we have a few other, you know, feelers out geographically. But when you think about international expansion, there's a whole world out there, that's true. But PCS really requires two things in order to be relevant. The first is sufficient CAD activity for us to have something to calculate and sufficient insurance industry sophistication, maturity, and penetration. So if our typhoon hits and there are no claims to count, we don't have much to do. You know, if there's no insurance penetration, then there's no industry loss. Also, if there isn't sufficient reinsurance sophistication, then we don't have much to do. One of the things we encourage companies to do and the markets we serve is to use us in their submissions as benchmark. And if the local insurers don't understand that concept, then we don't have much to do. Uh, we looked at Romania a couple of years ago for my predecessor, and in some ways there's a compelling case to be made there. The, the 1977 Francia earthquake was a GDP event, you know, massive destruction of, of GDP. And the word is that you know, they're due potentially at some point, not to just the future. And also they've got their cat scheme pied, which is a very large and sophisticated reinsurance buyer. Now the challenge is there's a cat every 40, 50 years, but nothing in between. So we don't show day-to-day value in a market like that. The federal is considered diversifying in Romania is generally 2% of the expected loss of the region. So there's not much retro trading going on. That that makes it a, a suboptimal market for us. Uh, there are probably a handful of markets in the world that matter to me uh, in terms of international expansion for now, right? So it's Mexico, Japan, Caribbean, China, potentially. India is the sort of market where maybe not right now, but 10 years from now, I'll thank myself for it. So it's really a limited scope. You know, Korea has some potential, but that's yeah, that, that's really the expansion potential for PAPS right now. What I find more interesting is the specialty line states. So we started our, our specialty line expansion strategy uh, pretty much 12 months ago. We had our first launch with PCS Global Marine and Energy, which provides industry loss estimates for non-elemental risk losses. So elemental is you know, earthquakes and hurricanes, weather, and nature doing stuff to you. Non-elemental, I like to describe as a combination of bad people doing bad things and stupid people doing stupid things. <laughs> uh, you, you think about, you know, oil rigs falling apart because of neglect and mismanagement. You think of, you know, ships crashing into each other. Those are the sorts of losses we cover. So we go back to 2009. And we cover non-elemental risk losses of at least $250 million, strictly offshore. So we, we've got some of the headline names like Costa Concordia, uh, Deepwater Horizon, you know, Jubilee right now from 2016 is an ongoing developing loss. We have Prison Alpha from uh, a few years back. And it's turned into quite a successful launch for us. You know, what I like to see in terms of how I evaluate 
the product once we go live. Again, yeah, I have two major factors. The first is, are we tested within the first year? Do we have an event? Because if we don't, then we're not relevant. You know, we need to have the event designation threshold just right so that we're tested, but we're not capturing events that are too small for market to care. And we were tested during the development of our product with Hanjin. And right now we're tracking the Kia Trader loss, which looks like it could get to 250. The other thing I look for is client adoption. How fast do people sign on? And generally, I like to see the first client sign on within 60 days. And we did it within 30 with Marine and Energy. We now have clients in at least five countries, and we continue to add to that. Following Marine and Energy, in September, we launched PCS Global Cyber. And I, again, where clients signed on within 30 days, we've got clients right now signing up you know, pretty much every week. And the, the other side of that evaluation, of course, getting tested. Oh, man, let me tell you, literally within days of going live, the Equifax announcement came out. <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah, and then Merck. <laughs> and uh, also on the, the Not Pet Yet Parade is nuanced communications, which not many in the industry knew about. So we were able to really show value by picking up those small losses. In January, late January, we launched PCS Global Terror, we just brought our first client on last week and we have more coming. That, that's another one that can be interesting. So we have our thresholds for terror at around 25, 25 million US. And we haven't had an event yet. It's only been you know, a month and a half. But we did wind up evaluating one. There was a pipeline in Turkey that got attacked and the news had the estimated industry loss out at 30 to $50 million, which seemed a bit high, especially for a pipeline that gets attacked fairly regularly. It was the target of a cyber attack in 2008, and it, I believe it got hit during the 2016 terror wave as well. So we worked our network and realized that the odds of getting to 25 are pretty low, even with a generous price per barrel. The remediation shouldn't be that expensive. So, but nonetheless, we, we had an event we had to check out right away. So on our specialty line side, I like the measures of relevance. And I also, you know, have seen a response from the market that is overwhelmingly positive. You know, we have clients adopt it, it means you're meeting your needs. And that's literally, that is the metric I live and die by. Thank you for that explanation. Uh, anyone that's been to the Insurance Nerds website has probably seen uh, that advertising at the top of the page talking about the reinsurance revolution, which is a PCS ad. So I, I have a feeling that everything you just described is tying into uh, this reinsurance revolution. Could you talk about what PCS means by the reinsurance revolution? Absolutely. It is, of course, a marketing campaign. So we want to do something that attracts attention and you know, gets people engaged. Uh, what I found is the biggest challenge in reinsurance right now, insurance in general, 
is uh, an ability to get together and develop the tools that are needed on an industry-wide basis to help people transact, to help them understand their risk and manage their capital more effectively. You know, when you think about getting people together, the first response is, wow, you want me to help my competitors? Well, you know, potentially, but we do like to think a rising tide lifts all ships, as evidenced by PCS activity over nearly 70 years. What's interesting is if we sit in the middle, we can help people work together. So working together, collaboration, if you think a little bit further along, you think about the collective. Yeah, and that gets us back to, you know, all our you know, 1980s perceptions of socialism and communism. You know, if the collective can rise up, then you can affect change and bring people forward, hopefully not along a five-year plan, uh, <laughs> as was common uh, under Stalin. So we came to the conclusion that if we're going to sit in the middle, if we're going to support the collective, if we're going to drive progress, then that sort of socialist propaganda imagery, which I've always just found fascinating anyway, uh, could be a good vehicle for communicating that message. And when you think of you know, the socialist revolution that you know swept through Cuba and North Korea and you know countless countries in Eastern Europe, well, you know you've got compelling visuals, you've got messaging for change, you know, revolution is exciting, and it's something also that our industry desperately needs. You know, we're often accused of being slow and stuck in our ways and resistant to change. Well, that's the sort of thing a revolution cures. And we're happy to foment that revolution. I've always seen myself back in my marketing career as a bit of a propagandist anyway. So it all came together <laughs> rather nicely. <laughs> so how does insurance link securities, I, I think I know the answer to this one, but along with uh, insurance link securities, how do smart contracts fit into the reinsurance revolution? How do you see that working out? Okay, it's interesting. So we've got smart contracts, which are you know, wrapped up in the blockchain discussion. And this is another one where you, you think about blockchain platforms and smart contracts. These vehicles are best deployed as a central and, and standardized utility that the industry can turn to rather than build it all themselves. Although a couple of companies have done quite well with proprietary solutions, um, looking at public news reports, you've got Solidum, uh, an insurance link securities fund in Zurich that's done some trading on their own uh, proprietary blockchain platform. All the transfer has done so as well. But if you think of shared expense rather than individual expense and driving you know, economies of scale and bringing something that an entire market can turn to, that's a central central solution. And smart contracts would then sit on top of the blockchain platform and triggering would come down to configuration, you know, porting contract language into the smart contract vehicle. And ILW triggers at X according to PCS. PCS is the Oracle in blockchain parlance, third-party independent data source for the Oracle for that transaction. We pipe our data in, and when the smart contract sees the conditions met, it triggers. 
So again, this fits nicely into the reinsurance revolution concept because it's centralized. And when you, you think of central planning and all, all the stuff that, you know, we, we looked at, you know, from the outside 20, 30, 35 years ago, it fits in with that reinsurance revolution concept. Additionally, it's a revolution, part of the revolution because it brings in automation and speed and efficiency and changes how we look at the tasks around managing ILS and ILW contracts. I've talked to several people in the market who say that the deployment of smart contracts on blockchain has brought down their deal administration expenses by north of 30%. That's significant. Yeah, seriously. That was an eye-opener. I, I was blown away during that, the first of those conversations and continually am. You know, there's a lot of opportunity there, but and even you know, thinking back to my management consulting days, I've seen this a million times. I can give you something that's good for you and prove that it's good for you, but you're going to hesitate to do it. And then let's say I get you to do it and you're seeing benefit. You can wake up one day and decide you're still not comfortable with it and turn back. <laughs> it's just part of the human condition. So that, that's where something like smart contracts will take time to really gain broad industry adoption. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, but I, I, I'm starting to see there's almost like a fear of missing out almost. This is one of the fastest adoptions of technology that I've seen in insurance, even though it is slow it's still like a much more rapid than I've seen other types of technologies be incorporated. And I, I get the sense that it, there's going to be some kind of inflection point where you're just going to have insurers feel like, you know, everyone else has a website. We need a website. Everyone else is using email. You know, they want to send us applications by email. We, we, someone should get an email system set up. I almost feel like they're, they're going to feel like they're being left out if they don't move quickly, I, I, I can sense that that's going to happen like in the next five years. Any, any, any opinion I, I, I would on that? Love, I would love to think that. There is a certain fear of missing out. Five years strikes me as aggressive. I, mean, I think the, the Allianz pilot was publicized a year and a half ago. And you know, B3I had some interesting things going on, but it's still got a lot of runway in front of it before it becomes a reality. We're seeing some shifting around of the blockchain vendors in the market as well, which could wind up slowing things down a bit. Yeah, it's a tough one because everyone's interested, everyone's talking. I think part of the problem is, you know, we're, we're light on action. And also, part of what concerns me is the notion that Everyone wants to do it fully right, fully correct the first time. And as they say, the perfect is the enemy of the good. I, I would love to see less ambitious efforts more frequently. Yeah. Get some wins down, get some infrastructure built. I know it'll sound self-serving, but I think we should see a lot more ILW trading on this type of platform. Certainly self-serving. Remember, I am a propagandist at heart. Um, <laughs> I'm a romantic, so you know I, I see I see this shiny new technology, and I'm just like, we should be using this. What what's taking so long? 
Yeah, we, we absolutely should. And what I like ILWs for this is that they're easy. So to, to build smart contracts around ILWs is yeah, a no-brainer. Build the infrastructure, you know, get that laid out for ILWs, and then enhance it for you know traditional reinsurance later. And there, I think you've got something. Yeah, no, I get it. In industry, we're just, yeah, we're not there yet. Okay, so the the P in PCS stands for property. What about casualty? Um, okay, so interesting. We're, we're actually getting away from selling out PCS because we're already past property. Cyber is not necessarily a property cover. It can function like one when you look at the NotPetya wiper attack. But it's also it also functions like casualty line. Uh, with marine, we've got PVDI and liability in there. Um, Terroristically property right now. We are looking at a number of casualty ideas, but it's very much in its infancy. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but we're, we're we're certainly not limited to property anymore, though. In practice, already we're past it. And our our view of the insurance landscape is now not just property or property cat. Again, there are only a handful of markets left out there that are relevant for industry loss index trading property cat. We are taking a much broader view of our clients' needs. Yeah. So, Tom, I'm going to ask you a question that's self-serving because I'm a flood guy. Has PCS covered flood and or will it be covering flood? Because for the most part, in the history of U.S. flood, the NFIP has really been the predominant source of capacity and the you know the predominant claims-paying source for flood. So how, how is PCS going to be treating U.S. flood? Okay, so there's two parts to this. Let me get the easy bit out of the way. First, we've always covered flood in some capacity or another. Any flood covered by an insurance policy, um, We'll handle the NFIP separately. Uh, works its way into our estimates. So you think of the auto comprehensive. You've got Harvey and Candy are both great examples of how flood can cause auto damage. Uh, you have uh, significant, very significant auto losses from those sorts of events because the cars got flooded, covered loss. Also on the commercial side, uh, there are commercial policies that include flood. We, you know, we capture that in the commercial class of business, uh, our PCS loss estimates as well. The homeowners, generally not a whole lot of private flood coverage been out there. That's where the NFIP steps in. Starting last October, we began to publish NFIP events as a fourth and separate category in PCS. That's a little bit different. We have this as a reference number only because we get encouraged from the NFIP, and that's what we publish which is different from the projected ultimate numbers we have for auto, commercial, and personal over in PCS US. So we had our we started reporting NFIP numbers with Harvey, which was certainly relevant. Actually coincidental as well. We've been working for several months to get this up and running. And it just literally just happened that Harvey came right around the time we've been planning our launch. We've also got uh, resurvey estimates for Irma and Maria as well as Harvey. Maria is quite small given where the catastrophe occurred, um, but we will be doing this for PCS events on an ongoing basis. 
Yeah, that's good to hear. That's really good to hear. Uh, Tom, your background is heavy on the marketing side of the business. How, how did you end over here? It, it, it's a, a long and twisted path. When I got out of the Army, I wound up in tech. So I got out of the Army in 1999 and went back to the Boston area where I grew up. And, you know, 1999 in Boston, not a bad place to land <laughs> with a philosophy degree <laughs> and, a, <laughs> and the Army and not much else. Um, so I wound up becoming a software trainer and teaching myself to code in my spare time. And over about a year and a half, we had to parlay that into a technology integration consulting role at Deloitte. While at Deloitte, I had some insurance clients. And also during that period, somehow remembered that I loved to write and, you know, that I could do that professionally. So that took me to marketing. Um, I had a couple of startups under my belt during breaks from Deloitte. The third time I went back to Deloitte, um, it was in a global marketing role, outside insurance, but still. And when I, I decided it was time to move on, my my job, is, you know, my focus was on a thought leadership job, and there happened to be one open, a guy, a carpenter. At this point, literally, my only work in reinsurance had been to work on an IT strategy proposal for a potential client. 2003 or four, right? <laughs> but the company was interesting. The market was fascinating. And uh, fortunately, I, I was able to get the job. When I got to Carpenter, I threw myself into learning the industry. Now, the, the marketing parts of my job were, were easy enough to do. I had comfortable experience with that. So I also knew that I, I was going to be a lot better at it if I knew what the folks in my company needed. So I really just absorbed everything I could about the market. Uh, took a break from reinsurance full time after Carpenter. I went to work for a marketing agency focused on mostly uh, IT infrastructure companies, but stayed uh, on as a freelancer in reinsurance literally until the day I wound up in Paris. So I was able to just keep you know, keep absorbing, keep learning, and then keep producing in the reinsurance space. Got to Varys, the head of marketing for one of the business units here, and ran it to PCS, which was the, the thing in my group that I was most familiar with. And over the next few years, I invested a lot of my time personally in helping to, uh, to market and promote PCS for the profile of the group worldwide and really caps um, demands that you know, wasn't really being recognized. Well, let me, let me ask you uh, a final question and I'll, I'll cut you loose uh, so you can have the rest of your day. Uh, first, uh, from the business perspective, are there any particular books? Uh, this is a, what you do deals with a very tough topic. Have there been any uh, books or reading materials that you would recommend to uh, you know, to someone that's listening to this that wants to understand more about either reinsurance, retro, ILS, uh, smart contracts, anything that comes to the top of your mind that you think would be helpful? So first I'd say go to Artemis.bm. They have some fantastic introductory materials on ILS and risk transfer. 
also about 10, 11 years ago, there was an article in the New York Times by Michael Lewis of Moneyball fame called Nature's Casino, which has a, a fantastic view and explanation of the cat bond market along with some of the, uh, some of the personalities in it. They're great folks. Um, there are a couple of books I've bumped into. I mean, if you search reinsurance on Amazon, it's not a long list, unsurprisingly. Um, there were a couple of books I ran into that uh, off the top of my head, don't remember the titles. Um, there is one good one called Against the Gods, which kind of tracks the development of the insurance market from you know the, the early days of the maritime insurance at Lloyd's 400 years ago. Uh, through the evolution of cat modeling and more sophisticated risk transfer, it's also, it's also so well written, such a joy to read. Um, also, I'd say, you know, come to veritas.com slash DCS, pardon the propaganda, but you know, I put out a lot of material to write a ton, and uh, I try to make it easy to understand and, and access. So, once you read the stuff, my contact information's in there, just call me. I'm always down to chat about this stuff. You are the Michael Lewis of insurance. How's that? <laughs> you How's are that too for, kind, man. For propaganda. Uh, that, that Michael oh, Lewis article. You're, you're <laughs> that Michael Lewis article I have recommended uh, pretty much to every new person uh, that joins. Uh, we've hired some interns, and I've recommended that article. And I've, I, I've recommended Against the Gods forever because – that was the book that I read that I said, because uh, I was coming from science into insurance. I read that book and I said, that's it. This is what I want to do. This, this, that's ex- this is exactly what I want to do. Uh, so I will get all of those onto the show notes. Um, Tom, this has been fantastic. I will make sure that people can connect to you via LinkedIn or your PCS website. I'm not sure if it's snowing in New Jersey, but it's snowing like crazy here, and I know that you have to travel. So I want to thank you so much for spending time to educate us about what PCS does and talk about the reinsurance revolution. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, It's been a pleasure. And hey, to you, to your listeners, anytime you need something, don't be shy. Just give me a shout. You got it. You got it. I'll make sure they can reach out to you. So keep that phone by your head. (laughs) Thanks, Tom, my guest this week has been Tom Johansmeyer of PCS. Tom, thanks again. Thank you, man. Take care.